Good to have you. You are. And show us who we are. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have clarity of vision. Clarity of your holiness. Clarity about our unholiness, our impurity, our sin. And then, Lord, I pray that you would help us to deal with that. Help us to know how to come to you. Pray that you would show us that even now. Amen. So we are in our favorite book in the Bible, Leviticus. Um, Leviticus is kind of an unfortunate name, actually, but it, it, it's, imp it's from the, it's not actually the way the Hebrews call it, but it, it implies that it's about the, related to the sons of Levi, who some of them were chosen to be priests, and there's a lot about the rituals that happen, so it got called Leviticus. Um, so you can see in this picture, there's uh, priests outside the tabernacle burning sacrifices, burning animals. Um, and we talked last week about how it's a, it was a bloody ritual um, that was going on in the tabernacle and why that was and, and what was going on with that. So, um, so last time we talked about how our theme this year is Living Just and Right, 2019, Year of Living Justice. But how do we live right and just, and especially what happens when we don't? Um, and we talked especially about the foundation of justice is a just, right relationship with God. And if we're not just and right in relationship with God, we're never going to be right and just in our relationship with each other. But we often aren't. How do we get back into a right relationship, especially with God as well as with each other? So... What happens when we don't? Well, there's sacrifices. Sacrifices for one thing that happens when we don't is, is death. The unjust should die. But this, there is sacrifice in Leviticus, a ransom that that animal takes the place of me who should die. The animal dies. The innocent animal dies in my place. The distance happens when we don't do what's right and just. The world's too filthy for God to live here, so God has to move out of the neighborhood. But purification allows me to be pure again, cleanse me from that, and from that in the sin offering takes care of that purification. A debt is owed to others and to God. When I do the wrong thing, when, and a sacrifice pays for that. It's a restoration or guilt offering. So there are different kinds of sacrifices we talked about last week. Those three, and then thanks sacrifices. The grain talks about thanks and obedience. And the shalom or peace offering included a meal, again, like communion or Thanksgiving Day that brought us into communion. The question is, who's going to offer the sacrifices? Now, if we're reading the, the book as it is, we realize that we have trouble because in Exodus 28 and 29, there were these instructions given. Very detailed instructions about the priests and what they were going to wear, and how to make their clothes, and what all, and how, how they would offer these sacrifices, how would they be ordained and set apart and made holy. But after that, Aaron was part of the worship of the golden calf. So it was supposed to be Aaron and his sons 
we're going to be the priests. And the next thing we see is Aaron is, he makes up this excuse that, you know, people gave me earrings, I threw them in the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> Sorry. But it's not just a little thing. God is ready to destroy them. Moses intercedes, like a priest, intercedes for people on, and God relents and agrees not to destroy them. But really? Aaron? Could he possibly be priest after that? After that idolatry? Um, so we're, we, there's this tension because then they, they build the tabernacle and they make the, the vestments and they talk about the sacrifices, but we haven't heard about Aaron or who's going to be a priest since the instructions were given and then Aaron messed up and who is going to be the priest? Who is worthy to enter into God's presence? Who would dare to enter into God's presence? How could someone impure, someone sinful, enter into the presence of God? That's the question that we're coming up to here as we are ordaining holy priests. How do we find holy priests? And Scripture talks about this people as a holy priesthood as well. Um, so remember, God chose Israel to bless all the other ethnic groups. But they had to be different, distinct, separate from all the other ethnic groups. They had to not have this unjust relationships, but have the just relationship. They needed to be a holy nation. The theme verse of Leviticus is, Be holy because I am holy. God says he's holy, so we should be revealing his holiness. Are we? And so later in, in uh, you say, well, this was just Israel. Well, it was taken up. Israel didn't do a very good job of it. The church was taken up, and, it said, and in First Peter he says, you are a holy priesthood, a, a, a kingdom. This, this same promise, this same calling is given to the church to reflect God's holiness and God's justice as a people. But are we worthy of that? We're supposed to be this just culture, and we're focusing especially on right relationship with God, um, but also relationship between people and with creation. Um, are we that? We talked about Yahweh, present among his people again. The creator moves into the neighborhood, but he's so powerful. We talked about the nuclear explosion being something, or all the the sun or the, the galaxies, all those nuclear explosions all over the place, those are just creations. They don't even come close to who God actually is. He's holy and set apart. We need to, like in a nuclear explosion, there needs to be some kind of containment and yet way to get that power. And the tabernacle was that place where God could be present, but separate, and his holiness could be seen and demonstrated in symbols and rituals and, and enacting who God was. Because holiness, what, what is that anyways? That's what, a nice religious word, but how do we know what it is? And um, these rituals and this architecture and the symbols and the beauty demonstrate who God is. So I'd, I'd like us to, to um, watch another video that gives us an overview of what Leviticus is about. I gave you last time you got a and some of you, if you missed it last time, there's a, a, um, a chart, a, a, a drawing of the, 
of Leviticus. This is not that one. You can go look at that one uh, on, the, on the video if you want. But this is an, an overview of Leviticus, quickly. All right? It's about eight minutes. The book of Leviticus. Story from beginning to end. And so we're making... Appreciate their uh, doing that for us. And like I said, you can look at their other Bible project, one that lays out the map that you did. But I decided to show you this one since you already had the, the map of the book. Um, but it, it explains that. So the, uh, I hope that gets at the big idea that we're trying to get at, which is about God's holiness. And how can sinful, impure people like us live in anywhere near God's holiness? That's why they were banished from the garden when they rebelled. Um, so this is a return to God's purpose in creation. Remember God's purpose in creation, he separated things in their proper place and brought the world into order. You remember he, he said the light is going to be here and the darkness here and the sun and the moon and uh, the, the sky and the, the water below and the water above and then the land and the, the water. And, and he, he laid out and then he filled it with good things. And in this book, again, God is reordering and saying this is clean, this is not clean, this, and, and every day, every time they ate, every time they put on clothes, every time they planted something, every, God would remind them, we're not mixing things. We're keeping them separate. We're going to talk more about that next time. But um, they were also called. You recall, God said, you're supposed to be my image. He created male and female in his image to be his representatives on earth. And then they messed that up. But here's a call again to be his representatives and to be holy like he's holy and represent what he's like. And then there was all this blessing. He called and made them, and then he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And he gave them fruitfulness. He gave them a lush land to live in, the Garden of Eden, or the, or the Promised Land. He gave them rest in the Sabbath day, and he walked together with them in the garden until they rebelled, and then they ran away and hid, and they tried to cover things up, and there, there was even a sacrifice there. But that we're returning, this is an opportunity, God's gracious way of getting people back into his presence. A gracious way for him to be with these people. Now, we have our own ways of dealing with that. Um, the usual way, we either bring God down or we put ourselves up more than is true. And we make sin not a big deal. You know, you shouldn't feel bad. Just think better and don't, don't be so ashamed. And, and, you know, like we used to be really into this, uh, you know, self-image stuff. But I, I remember having to teach some 4-H'ers about self-image. I, I, I had a terrible time doing it because it was all pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Say to yourself, I'm good. I'm capable. I'm wonderful. But maybe I'm not. What if I'm not good? What if I'm not capable? What if I messed up? And we have, if we're honest. And what if God isn't just a nice guy whose job is to forgive us after all, and we're all right, but he's actually a consuming, holy presence like that nuclear reaction that you can't just waltz in and say, Hi, I'm here. How are you doing? What if God 
And I, I think we, we often don't really get at how powerful, amazing, holy, different God is from us. He's not part of the creation. Even all the universe together is nowhere near who God is. And yet, we seem to kind of just try to bring him down to not so holy and ourselves to holier than we really are so that we can get somewhere near feeling kind of okay for our, with ourselves. Really, aren't we? Until somebody else does something, then we get checked. Man, they should know better. Those people, can you believe it? But I'm, you know, sort of okay. Right? But <laughs> Scripture, Leviticus, has a totally different way that says, no, God is way different, powerful, holy, dangerous, and you have a right to be afraid. And you are impure and ready to be devoured <laughs> by that holiness. So, um, in Leviticus, so I, I think I like what they said about this is a different culture. And here's one of the things that, that is a problem when we come to Scripture. We expect Scripture to be written to me. It wasn't really written to you. It was actually written a long, long time ago. So give 2,000 to the time of Christ and 1,400 maybe to this time. We're talking 3,500 years ago in a different place, different time, in a different language. It actually wasn't written in English, King James or any other English. It's written in Hebrew and Greek and some other places that we don't understand. I used to do this with my hermeneutic students um, when I was teaching how to understand the Bible in, in Tanzania. I, I gave them a, a letter, a Christmas letter from a friend of mine. And I said, okay, understand this. So it talked about um, the twins and blizzards and uh, all this kind of stuff. And, and they translated it from English into Swahili, but it was still hard to know who are the twins. Which twins are we talking about? And what is a blizzard? And what would that be about? And just crossing an ocean, even now, um, it's hard to understand. And if I tried to translate some stuff from there, you wouldn't understand it either. We have to get into a different mindset. But God is in a totally different culture, right? He's found a way to reveal himself into a whole bunch of cultures. So what's amazing about Scripture is that it's written into a whole bunch of different cultures. But we have to understand how he revealed himself each way and realize that Jesus was building on this revelation. Um, so it, we have to get into how they understood it. So here's Leviticus 10.10. Let's get at a little of the worldview here. You must distinguish what is sacred or holy from what is common. So sacred or holy are those things that were dedicated to God. Different. Distinguish what's sacred or holy from what's common between what's ceremonially unclean and what is clean. And you must teach the Israelites all the decrees that Yahweh has given through Moses. This was directions to the priests. Um, so let's get at this a little bit. Um, so something that's common or clean is everything's common, normal. It could be clean or unclean, but it... But it then can be sanctified or set apart to be holy and dedicated to God, belong to God. But then it could also be profaned and move back to being just normal, common. All right? But then some things aren't really normal. They're actually 
worse than normal, they're unclean. So the normal state, but then when somebody has an infirmity or they're bleeding or they have something, they become unclean, and then they need to be cleansed and made clean again. So you could pollute something, and then it needs to be cleansed and made ritually clean again. Then that clean thing could be sanctified, set apart for God, and made holy. Or that holy thing could be profaned and made just common and clean again. You're getting the, the direction things can move here? You have to, there's three categories for them. Everything in the world is set apart in these three categories. Clean and unclean are normal things. Holy is set apart for God. How do things move between these categories? Well, sin and infirmity move things from profane or pollute things to make them clean or unclean. And sacrifice allows things to be cleansed again and sanctified from being clean so that they are holy. You get what I'm saying? So if something's normal, um, a, a regular body is normal, but then if there's a, some kind of a discharge or something wrong or a skin disease, it becomes unclean. And then if that is healed and goes away, then there needs to be a purification, a washing, and a sacrifice, and, and it's made clean again. All right? And if we're going to have priests, they need to be not just normal, clean. They need to be sanctified and made holy. The tabernacle needs to be not just some gold and wood. It needs to be made holy. So we're in the, um, this pattern of ordaining. Now, I, I wanted to get at some of the... Uh, they had special uniforms to set apart that these, are, these people are different. Um, now, can you guess what the other uniforms there are for? A hazmat, right. So one, one of them is, uh, this one is people dealing with radiation. So they have to suit themselves up so that the radiation doesn't get them. That's kind of what the video was showing of like being by the sun or being by a nuclear explosion. You have to dress so that when you go into the holy place, you, you, are, not, you are protected, right? And the other is Ebola. And uh, people are trying to protect Ebola from corrupting the whole community. And, and these people are trying to stay clean while still helping those who have, who have become not just ritually unclean, but um, diseased. So th there, that's some of the symbol of what's happening with the, the high priest and the priest with these special outfits. They're, they're, they can't go anywhere near uncleanness, like death or anything else. And they, they put on these special garments. They wash, they and wear all these things, and they become holy to God through this ritual process and sacrifice and this, this special. You, you following me? So that they're set apart to God. But they're also... This is special materials. I mean, it's woven with gold through those threads. It's, it's not just a hazmat thing. It's a, it's a royal, beautiful thing, and, and it's got the, the tribes of Israel that they're representing. The high priest is bringing before God. He's mediating. So I just want to make that comparison. So let's look at the ordination of Aaron and his, and his two sons. If you'd open your Bible, you got one in front of you in the... In the uh, by the hymn book there, if you didn't bring one. Leviticus chapter 8. Somebody, somebody looking at ones in the pew can give me a page number. 75. All right. Leviticus chapter 8. 
Um, then the Lord Yahweh said to Moses. What's interesting is Leviticus is full of God's direct quotations, and yet we don't like to read it. Um, then Yahweh said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons along with their sacred garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams, and the basket of bread made without yeast, and call the entire community of Israel together at the entrance of the tabernacle. I mean, there's a few million, so I think it's representatives of the, of the community. So Moses followed the Lord's instructions. I want you to take note of that phrase, because it's repeated over and over again. He followed those instructions precisely. He followed the Lord's instructions. And the whole community assembled at the temple entrance. Moses announced to them, this is what the Lord has commanded us to do. Again, he's following the instructions. Um, by the way, how does God give instructions? The Torah, we said, really means instruction. So the first five books of the Bible, we tend to talk about it as law, but it's not. It's a story. It's an experience. And inserted there are some laws. So God teaches his people with experience. He takes them through these experiences, and then he has them record them. And it's a life story, life stories, and a history of these people. And, and this is not just instructions. This is now we're carrying out the instructions. And there is symbol, and there's ritual, and the people experience this together. They don't just think about holiness. They participate in a drama of holiness. And the architecture, the ritual, the symbols, all participates in this drama to teach them. So those of you who are educators, God is an amazing educator. So you watch him bringing them through the desert and then bringing them to Sinai and, and teaching them all this. You know, most of us with our kids, we can try to give them rules, right? It's not really what impacts the kids, is it? When you as a kid, did you really, what you really learned was it the rules that your parents told you? Or was it the life that your parents lived with you? Which sometimes included some rules. Sometimes they threw in some stuff about doing dishes. But they also showed you how to do dishes. They helped you do the dishes. And then they made sure you did the dishes. Or else there were some other things that happened. Some other experiences that might have happened along the way. When you didn't do the dishes. Right? So <clears throat> God teaches them in this. And Moses is passing on God's command, Moses is acting as the priest, showing them exactly how they're supposed to do it, in detail, what he commanded. So then Moses present, verse 6, he presented Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. I don't know exactly how that looked, but uh, he washed them with water. He put the official tunic on Aaron and tied the sash around his waist. He dressed him in the robe, placed the ephod on him, and attached the ephod securely with its decorative sash. I'm going to go back to the picture of what he's wearing here. Then Moses placed the chest piece on Aaron and put the Urim and the Thummim inside it. He placed the turban on Aaron's head and attached the gold medallion, the badge of holiness, because it said holy to the Lord right on that gold piece, right on that crown, to the front of the turban, just as Yahweh had commanded him. Verse 10, Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, making them holy holy, purifying them, making them set apart. They weren't just a tent anymore. Now it's a holy place. He sprinkled the oil on the altar seven times, anointing it and all its utensils as well as the washbasin and its stand, making them 
holy. Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head, anointing him and making him holy for his work. Next, Moses presented Aaron's sons. He clothed them in their tunics, tied sashes around them, and put their special head coverings on them, just as the Lord had commanded him. Then Moses presented the bull for the sin offering. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the bull's head, putting their sins, confessing their sins, all of their sins, put on this bull, and Moses slaughtered it. Moses took some of the blood with his finger. He put it on the four horns of the altar to purify it. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Through this process, he made the altar holy by purifying it. Then Moses took all the fat around the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat around them, and he burned it all on the altar. He took the rest of the bull, including its hide, meat, and dung, and burned it on a fire outside the camp, because it was unclean, just as the Lord had commanded him. Then Moses presented the ram for the burnt offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the ram's head, and Moses slaughtered it. Then Moses took the ram's blood and splattered against all the pieces of the altar. Notice what's happening here is they are being cleansed from their sin and made holy. They're putting their sin on these, on these animals that are being killed as a ransom for them and a purification for them. And he's washing, um, verse 21 he burned the entire ram on the altar as a burnt offering. It was a pleasing aroma, a special gift presented to Yahweh, just as Yahweh had commanded him. The Lord presented the other ram, which was the ram of ordination. So this one wasn't for purification. And he slaughtered it. And, and next, verse 24, um, okay, 23, And Moses slaughtered it. Then Moses took some of its blood and applied it to the lobe of Aaron's right ear, the thumb of his right hand, and the big toe of his right foot. Next, Moses presented Aaron's sons and applied some of the blood to the lobes of their right ears, the thumbs of their right hands, and the big toes of their right feet. He then splattered the rest of the blood against all the sides of the altar. I guess we forgot that with the ministry coordinators. We should have been putting some blood on them. Um, but they were set apart. You know the song? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move. You, if you think through that song, it's all about um, their, your hands being presented, your money being presented, your, your, your days and your take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. This was dedicating all of Moses and Aaron, ordaining them to this service in a special way so that they could hear what God had to say, so that they could hear what the people were saying so they could present that to God, so they could present what God was saying to the people. So their hands would move only at the impulse of his love, so their feet would go where God told them to go. And only their whole life was given, set apart now to God, to serve God on behalf of the people to mediate for people. Now, I want you to notice when people have on this kind of a uniform, when people are set apart for that kind of thing, it doesn't emphasize their individuality, does it? It emphasizes their office. You know, and when a police officer talks to you or, or in the military, it doesn't really matter who it is. It matters what's here 
or here, right? Matters what the rank is, what the office is. If you're supposed to salute or not, it's, it's, it's about the office, not about the individual. And I want you to realize that part of our problem with this whole thing is a very American thing about we want to be individuals. We want freedom. We want to do our thing. Find our path. Discover yourself. Aaron and his sons didn't get to do that. They were set apart for God and for his service, and they were only supposed to figure out God's path, God's way, God's instructions, God's heart, and follow them exactly. I think that's part of why some of us are a little uncomfortable with the idea of being a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. We're like, ah, yeah, I want to be kind of that way, but don't tell me what I got to wear or what I got to drink or what I got to eat or what I got to go, what I got to give. Because I'm finding my way, doing my thing. We're going to do Christianity in a new way that's never been done before. We're going to have a new church that's going to be so cool. Um, we're going to have a pastor who wears cool clothes. Um, I tell you, honestly, it's really hard to figure out how to dress for this congregation. <laughs> because the, I know a lot of the Africans and African-Americans like to, a pastor who's really dressed up, and it's, uh, right, you guys would like me in skinny jeans, right? I, maybe not. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but it's hard to know. I should just get this outfit, right? It only cost me many thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to get gold embroidered, whatever, but um, we could do that. You do notice that there are churches that tend to be more sacramental, by which we mean the emphasis for them is on the offering. Every Sunday is Mass, or um, it's called different things, Orthodox Church or Catholic Church or other high churches, and, the, and they, they make they stay more with Israel. With the transition between Israel and the church after Jesus and the day of Pentecost, they stay more with some of the stuff from Israel. And the, and the priest, they call him a priest. They don't call him a pastor. Some of them call him a pastor. But he's a, he's a priest or a father, and he wears special stuff to emphasize his office and the office of the fact that he can actually touch the bread and the wine and the sacrifice. And, and he is in a special place because of that. We don't do that, but we should definitely learn from that. There's things we can do with symbol and ritual, and to be honest, as Pentecostals, we were so kind of disgusted with the nominal Lutherans or whatever, Catholics or whatever, we didn't think we're, we, we got excited about God, and so we said, all that stuff, forget it. We're going to be different, right? We're going to be, and now it's cooler. We're going to be cooler than that. And every generation wants to be cooler than the last church, right? The, the church that their parents were in. And um, <clears throat> there can be some real revival and some catching hold of some things. And I think, you know, as Pentecostal, we've got ca caught hold of the Holy Spirit in a way that wasn't there. But sometimes we may have forgotten God the Father and the holiness and the, the awesomeness the power and the holiness of who God is. And we can get a little too chummy. And we can act like our problem is just 
how we think. And uh, we our problem is sin. We've got to deal with our sin. And how we do that. <clears throat> so anyway, these rituals, it does, again, the principles that are in this instruction are for us now. It doesn't mean we have to do them all. In fact, we aren't doing them all. We aren't supposed to do them all. Hebrews makes that clear. But the principles we shouldn't forget. God gave all Scripture for instruction, for correction, for training in righteousness, doing justice, living just and right. Okay, <clears throat> so, so um, let's skip down here. <clears throat> It says 8 and 9. I don't think that's right. I think it's 8.34. Everything we have done today was commanded by the Lord, by Yahweh, in order to purify you, making you right with him. So then he says to Aaron and his sons, Now stay at the entrance of the tabernacle day and night for seven days and do everything Yahweh requires. Again, do everything Yahweh requires. If you fail to do this, you will die. For this is what Yahweh has commanded. So Aaron and his sons did everything Yahweh had commanded through Moses. So we see that they did it exactly. And it, that, that phrase is repeated, as Yahweh has commanded. And then um, for seven days. So we're not too good at rites of passage or rites of transformation. But we have some, even though we... So in, uh, in Kenya, a lot, of, a lot of ethnic groups had rites of passage. So when you became, just for a, for a son especially, when you became 12, 13, 14, 15, take you out in the woods, and there'd be a celebration, you go out in the woods, and then they circumcise you. With a knife, no anesthesia, and you better not flinch, or it'll be remembered forever. You have to prove you're a man. And then, while you're out there healing, um, for some days, people come and, and do different things, and they, maybe they try to scare you, but you're out in the woods someplace, but they also give you instructions about how you're supposed to treat women now and how you're supposed to do other things, and, and uh, some tribes had similar things for women, but the point is you go out, you have this ritual, and you, you go out as a boy, and you come back, and there's a big celebration, and you are now a man, and you know you're a man. Um, our church in Kenya developed what they called ropes, which was rites of passage experiences because they realized we got rid of that stuff with Christianity, but now nobody knows when they become a man or what they're supposed to do when they're a man or how what, you know. And I think we have a little of that problem ourselves. We're not sure quite how we become manly, um, how we become womanly. And so they did a, something sort of like we're doing with Illuminate. They did an instruction time, and they ended it with a camp. And then if you wanted to, you could go to the hospital and have the other thing done too. Um, and some people did that. And then they had a celebration where they came back to the church and we welcomed them as men. Um, but we do some similar things when, when somebody gets married. So there's different kinds of rites, of rites that we do. Some are just intensification. Like you come for to church on Sunday and you remember, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I was supposed to live like this. And then you go back, do the same. But some, some rites are actually transformation. We... we what we do with this is we, we send people off to college. And they're supposed to stay there for four years, and they all hang out together, and they have 
some interesting experiences and uh, some interesting instruction, initiation, and they come back as men. And uh, they're supposed to have figured out um, sex and alcohol and um, critical theory and other things. Um, and uh, they're supposed to be real adults now. They got a degree. So um, we also do it when people get married, right? People get married, you come in here, we do a ceremony, and then we turn you around, we say, we now pronounce you man and wife, and we say, here are Mr. and Mrs., and we introduce you, right? And then you go off for seven days or longer if you can afford it, and uh, when we come back, we don't treat you like, we treat you like Mr. and Mrs. You are transformed. The, these guys now, after this seven days, they are transformed. They are now not Aaron, they are high priests and priests. Um, so then chapter 9 is about what happens with, now Aaron follows the detailed example that Moses had given. Aaron presents the sacrifice, and he goes through each piece along with his sons. And they, and verse 6 says, and Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded you to do so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Um, come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering to purify yourself and the people. Then present the offerings of the people to purify them, making them right with the Lord. We're getting right and just through these sacrifices. Just as he has commanded. So Aaron went and slaughtered and he put things up there. And then if you jump down to chapter 22, or verse 22, he, he slaughters these things, he, he lifts them up, does all the things. After that, Aaron raised his hands toward the people and blessed them, something we do at the end of this service often. Then after presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering, he stepped down from the altar. Then Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle. And when they came back out, they blessed the people again, and the glory of the Lord appeared to the whole community. Fire! blazed forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When the people saw this, they shouted with joy and fell down on the ground. This is participatory worship. They're like, there's some, there's some nice, you know, they're burning those sacrifices. This is good. It all looks, they're doing the right thing. And then God's fire comes and burns it up. And they're like, whoa, whoa God took them instead of me. Yay. And they all shouted, and they fell down, and they said, what? Great! It didn't get me. It got the sacrifice. And they were ecstatic because everything had been done exactly as the Lord commanded. Then we move into verse 10. Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burner and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, strange fire different than he had commanded. Notice, things change here. It doesn't say God commanded, so they did. It says, they went off and did this thing, whatever they kind of felt like, different from what God had commanded. And what happened? So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up. And they died before Yahweh. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what Yahweh meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory 
before all the people. So when you come singing, Lord, display your glory. Display your holiness. Know what you're asking for. If you aren't coming into his presence with the blood of the Lamb, if you aren't coming purified, be careful. And Aaron was silent. There was no shouting of joy. There was silence. Then Moses called for Mishael and Elzaphan, Aaron's cousins, the sons of Aaron's uncle. He said to them, Come forward and carry out the bodies of your relatives from the front of the sanctuary to place outside the camp. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Do not show grief by leaving your hair uncombed or by tearing your clothes. If you do, you will die, and the Lord's anger will strike the whole community of Israel. Or the rest of your relatives may mourn of the Lord's fiery destruction of Nadab and Abihu. But you must not leave the entrance of the tabernacle, or you will die. For you have been anointed with the Lord's anointing oil. So they did as Moses commanded. So they can't go to the unclean. Remember? They're not holy. A dead body is unclean. They can't touch their brothers and son. They can't mourn for them. They need to stay and do what God commanded them to do. And they have to be clear which side they're on. Are they priests? Or are they fathers of these guys who messed up a little bit. God is serious about us following his instructions. We're called to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Full time. Not part time. Not sort of do what I want to do. Some, some of that stuff I kind of like. But everything we do is to be following God's instructions in detail. So that we live our lives so that people can know that there is a holy God who is really alive and well and obvious as you display the image of God. Are you ready for that? Did you know that's what you're signing up for? I don't know if Aaron quite knew what he was signing up for, or his sons apparently didn't know what they were signing up for. They were kind of like, oh, this priest thing is cool. Let's do some incense. No. That's not how it works. We need to follow God's instructions exactly. Now, again, the principles here... You're like, oh, that's the Old Testament, right? That was that angry, judgmental God. Remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? That was New Testament. It wasn't that they, it was, seemed like a little thing. They brought their offering, and they said, this is the whole thing. You guys remember what happened last time we needed to have our roof fixed? I didn't even remember. 
But the Newhouse sisters sold their house. And they brought the whole thing and paid for the roof. That was Acts. That was kind of Acts giving. But when they said they paid, this is the whole thing, we're paying for the roof, it was the whole thing. Ananias and Sapphira came, hey, yeah, we, here's our whole house. That's the whole price? Yeah. They just lied about how much they were giving. Anybody ever pretend they're giving more than they do? Anybody ever give to get the plaque <laughs> or, the, uh, or the coffee cup or whatever it is? To, anyway, um, it was just lying about how much they gave. Seems like a little thing, doesn't it? It wasn't. To God, they were dead. Immediately. Ananias, Sapphira. So God is still serious about this. You know, we read that passage in, uh, when we come to communion. It says, we should discern the body. And it's talking about we should, we should make sure that, that rich and poor aren't separate and that when we eat together, everybody has enough to eat. And you're not caring for each other in that economically. And when you, when you do that, you don't discern the Lord's body. And it says, and that's why some of you are sick and some have died. Really? I thought that was only Old Testament. If we aren't discerning the body, if we aren't following God's instructions, it's serious. Why does it always say, fear the Lord? We always kind of try to translate that. You know, that kind of means awe. It kind of means reverence. It's kind of, you know, we're, we try to translate that into something not so fearful. But we need to fear God. Right? If we fear God, we won't have anything else to fear. The truth is, when I'm afraid, it's because I'm afraid something is bigger than God. But if I really fear God, and I'm doing exactly what he told me to do, then I can walk with confidence. You following me? It's when we don't fear God so much that we start to fear where the economics is going to go, and we start to fear what might happen to my job, and we start to fear that my, my wife or my husband or my, or my parents or my kids. We, when we fear God, we don't have to fear all the other possibilities. So, um, but who will offer the sacrifices? We have something greater than they did. Now, we need to understand the, the foundation before we can understand what the greater is. And Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, builds on the foundation and talks about how God has fulfilled so much of that through Jesus. Um, Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 17, Therefore it was necessary for him, the son, okay, let's start in 16. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. 
Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. So Hebrews talks about how Jesus came. I got a bridge here. Um, talked about the distance and the gap between us and God. One part of it is that this section of the bridge here, how could God possibly understand my experience? He's so other, so different. He doesn't know what it's like. Jesus was tested. Jesus suffered. Jesus knows what it's like. Whatever you're going through, he has experienced something similar. Um, chapter, the end of chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews destroyed the end if you haven't gotten there. Chapter 14. Chapter 4, verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, yet he faced all the same testings we do. He faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of, gracious, of our gracious God. There we will receive mer his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So we can come boldly to God's throne, but not flippantly. We can come boldly because we have a high priest who's gone ahead of us into the holy place, who sprinkled his blood and cleansed and opened the way for us. And he understands exactly what we're going through, so he can be that mediator between people. Um, I'd, I'd encourage you not only to read Leviticus, but also read Hebrews. And, and see how it, how it uh, compares. Um, chapter 6, verse 26. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 7, verse 23. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But Jesus lives forever. His priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. So God, Jesus, is in the real sanctuary with God. And he is, say, he is interceding on our behalf for what we need and for our forgiveness. He's the kind of high priest we need because not only does he understand our difficulties, but he's holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He's been set apart, holy, from sinners, and he has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness, but after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. We have good news. God has made a gracious way for us to come into his presence, to have him live among us. And it's even better than what he gave to the Israelites. You might be sitting here today and you're saying, 
that sounds great, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm really that bad. Or maybe I'm really sure I'm that bad. And I'm not sure I can come into a holy God's presence. You, you, you got me spooked. I'm afraid. Good. You should be afraid. <laughs> but when you fear God, then you need to realize that Jesus is our high priest. That he intercedes with us. And th so there's, he's the perfect high priest because he knows our weakness. And he reveals God to us. So that was the other part of the high priest's job was to give the instructions and show what God was like by his actions and his rituals and tell people this is what God's like. So the other side of the bridge was we couldn't understand God. So God couldn't understand us, and we couldn't understand God. The high priest tried to help with that. And then there was one big problem in the middle, sin. But Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. So he's the perfect high priest because he can really show us what God's like. And he really knows what we're like. So he can intercede and mediate, and he has dealt completely with your sin. Now, I want to encourage you to do this. Give Jesus your sin. Confess your sin to him. Put your hands on that lamb and say, here's what I've done wrong. I, here's what I've done wrong. Here's what we've done wrong. Here's all the wrong, unjust, unrighteous, polluting, death-giving things we've done. Please, forgive us by your sacrifice. I can't. I, I, I just mess up. God, I need you Jesus, we need you to be my high priest. To forgive me from all. To show me what God is really like. And to intercede for me with the Father. So that I can be cleansed and purified. And enter with confidence. Enter with confidence into the holy of holies. Beyond the curtain. Because of the cross. That has opened the way. For me to enter into God's presence. To live in God's presence. Once again. To be back in the Garden of Eden as his people. And then, as a people, just like Israel, we get to be his representatives. We get to represent Jesus in a new way for people who don't understand who don't know that they have a high priest. They could have a high priest. Just like Israel, they had a priest taking care of, and a high priest taking care of their sin, purifying them, so that they could be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So we can follow him. We can hear from him, and we can pass on what God is like. We can act out what God's like. We can show people what holiness is like, what justice is like, what righteousness is like as a people. Because we have a great high priest who has cleansed us, purified us, opened the way so that the path between God's power and presence is available to us and we can represent him 
to people who have no idea. Now, we'll probably have to reinterpret it and dramatize it and, and ritualize it and, and show it in some brand new ways. But those principles are still there. Um, you know, we don't want the carpet getting bloody. But uh, we got new ways because there's one sacrifice that's dealt with all that. Not some kind of magic blood, but Jesus has died for us to open the way. Let's, let's um, pray together if the, if the worship team would come up. Um, we pray together. If you, and I'm going to open the altar. We tend to call this an altar, don't we? Why do we call it an altar? We call it an altar because it's a place where you can come and meet with God. You can confess your sins. You can apply that blood. You can give your sacrifice. You can prepare to enter in. If you want to come here and pray, if you want to confess your sins, our sins, um, if, you, if you want to be right with God, and if you aren't quite sure about that, um, talk to me or any of the other people who were lined up here earlier today. Say, I'm not quite sure about entering in, how I do that, or if I have. Um, would you stand up and let's pray together. Holy God, we confess that we have sinned in our words, in our deeds, in our thoughts, things we have done, things we have not done, things we have done as individuals, things we have done as a community, as a church, as a nation, as a, a people. Lord, we confess that we have failed to do many things. We have failed to care for your creation the way that you assigned us to do. We have fa failed to care for the weak and the poor and the outsider, the widow and the orphan in the way that you assigned us to do. We have failed to reach out and welcome those who need to be welcomed. We have said things that were hurtful. We have not said things and that was hurtful. Lord, we have sinned in so many ways. And we confess that we are unable to wash ourselves clean. So we ask you, Jesus, by your blood, cleanse us, purify us because of your sacrifice. Anoint us with your oil. Make us holy. Cleanse us. Make us clean. And then make us holy servants, representatives of yours. We can't do that. But you can. You know our weakness, but you are also the perfect, perfect priest, perfect sacrifice, and you can completely cleanse us. Lord, we don't understand all this. We try to get our minds around it. We try to use pictures and analogies and, and the ones that you gave us, the pictures and symbols and rituals that you tried to communicate your holiness to us and how we could be cleansed. 
But Lord, we want to trust you to cleanse us, to purify us, to make us holy, to help us to be your image in this world again. Your image reflecting your justice, your righteousness, your holiness, your greatness. So we give our lives to you. We ask that you would touch our ears, anoint and cleanse our mouths, our hands and our feet. Take our lives and let them be consecrated, Lord, for you, for you. Our moments, our days, our hands, our silver and gold, everywhere we go. May we live the holy lives that you asked us to you called us to and that you have enabled us to. Lord, we ask you to do that in our lives today, as only you can do. We pray this in Jesus, our great high priest's name. Amen. I'm going to give the benediction and um, let you go, and we can, you can stay and pray here. Um, Worship with the, with the team if you want. But um, let me do as Aaron did, Moses. So this is Numbers 20, number 6, 22. Then Yahweh said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. So you ready? May the Yahweh protect you and bless you. May Yahweh smile on you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh show you his favor and give you his peace. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. <laughs> so receive his blessing. And receive his forgiveness. We talked about in the sacrifice, there was always three parts. The one who gave the sacrifice, the priest, and God who did the actual forgiving. And now you've received the blessing and received now God's blessing on your lives, on your food, on your protection, and may his gracious favor be with you. Amen. Amen. Amen.